I want to start off with this question. It's a very serious question, right? If you had a friend visiting, if you had a friend visiting you in Korea, and he was only on a layover, and could have one meal with you, right? And this friend said, "Hey, take me to like the best place you can. I only have one meal with you, right? Where would you take them? Where would you take them, right? Actually, right now, let me give you one minute. Talk with your neighbor, right?" And tell them where you would take them. We all need food recommendations, right? We all need food recommendations, right? All right. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. It's a very difficult question. Very difficult question, right? Um, I, I know my, my foodie brother, Casey over there with the eagle's head. What would you say? We all need a recommendation. Majang Meat Market. Okay, where, there's, where they sell hanu, right? Hanu beef? All right, all right. Sam, what would you say? Yangkochi. Okay, lamb skewers. Lamb skewers. All right, all right. Daniel, what about you? Chokbar Gongdok Market. All right. Pig feet, for those who don't know. All right. I would say... I love this question, by the way. If you're my friend, you know I, I ask these kind of questions, right? Out of the blue. <laughs> I would agree with Casey. If I were to choose one place, it would be Majang Shijang, right? Which is a, it's like a Hanu meat market, right? It's, it's really good. And the reason why I'm uh, asking you this question today is I would definitely take anybody there because I am 100% sure that this place is legit. Right, Casey? Right? He blogged about it too. It's legit, right? Which means what I'm saying is I'm fully convinced. I'm fully convinced that this place is worth going to, right? I'm fully convinced that this food is the best. I would never recommend taking one of my closest friends on one meal to somewhere like Kongnamur Gukbap or something, right? <laughs> Pastor Susie would do that. <laughs> she, loves, she loves that bean sprout soup, right? Right? But I am not convinced. <laughs> Anybody else convinced? <laughs> Nobody passes convinced, all right? <laughs> Naturally, we want to share and bring people to the place where we legitimately enjoy. If you're my friend, you hear me talk, yo, bro, you got you to try this place, bro, bro, you know? And... Um, Naturally, that's what happens. But let me juxtapose this and compare, compare this situation to another situation. You, be, you ever walk around the street in like Shincheon or Hongdae and you see those ajimas, right, passing you food flyers? You ever seen that? They like come up to you aggressively. Man, they're aggressive, right? They're like, hey, eat this. It's the best. You have to go here, right? But when you look at their face, right, and, and, and you listen to them try to convince you, it's like... I don't think it's going to be convincing. It's not too convincing. Have you guys ever been convinced by one of those ajimas and be like, oh, this is going to be good. Oh, I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> you are a gracious person, right? <laughs> That's what it means. Right? Do they honestly seem convincing? You know, I would say for, for the most part, right? For the most part, they're just doing their job. They're just doing their job. What... I'm trying to get at with this is our heart motive, our heart motive, right? 
Our vision is to call all to the feast. The vision of our church here is to call all to the feast. And I'd like to pose this question. Are we convinced? Are we convinced that this feast is worth coming to? Right? Are we convinced that we would love to bring anybody to this feast? Because we are fully convinced that this is legit. Right? Or... Like the ajimas. Right? The ajimas that pass out the flyers, right? They don't have to be ajimas. They could be ajushis, right? I've only seen ajimas, right? Like, or, or is it like that? Do we kind of share about the feast because it's kind of like our job? Because we're supposed to. Because Jesus commanded us to. You guys see the difference in our heart motives, right? Are we fully convinced that what we are feasting on is legit. Because uh, from the beginning of this message, uh, I will tell you confidently, right, that every single one of us in here, it will be much easier to live out the Great Commission when we actually believe and are convinced that this feast is worth coming to. It's worth coming to. Question is, what is this feast? What is this feast that we are called to invite people into? What is this feast that every single one of us in in here are invited to? The thing is, this motif and theme of feast, when you research it on Google, when it comes to scripture, what you'll find is that this theme of feast can be found all throughout the Bible. This idea of feasting. That's why I love God, you know? That's not not the only reason why I love God, but that's a great reason to love God. Like, this theme of feasting is written all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. Feasting is symbolic for fellowship and communion, right? It's not just about the food. It's also about the people and who is inviting. Feasting in the Bible symbolizes fellowship and communion, Okay? Fellowship and communion. And God's heart is expressed in this way all throughout the Bible, right? Uh, Even in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when God commanded um, Moses, right? I want you to build this tabernacle. And God's sharing his heart, like, I really, I want to be with you. I want to be with my people. I want you to build this tabernacle. And he gave specific instructions, right? How thick to make this curtain and what artifact what like pieces to to put into this tabernacle and i love how one of those pieces was called the table of his presence one of the one of the things that are commanded to build in this temple is called the table of his presence and i love that because that table that table it represents and it means god's invitation to be in his presence to feast of who he is to feast of his goodness You see, God's heart, even in the Old Testament, his desire to want to commune together with his people. I love how Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I love how the psalmist uses the word taste. Because I can come up to every one of us and say, hey, God is good. God is so good. But why does he use this word, taste it? Taste it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Implying there's this 
motif of what it means to feast. What it means to feast. Psalm 23, even in the midst of our suffering and struggles, he says, you prepare what? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right? In the, in the struggle in this life, God is constantly inviting us to sit with him, to feast with him. Where we draw our strength and our energy and, and our hope. Right? When it comes to feasting with God, what's on the menu? What's on the menu when it comes to feasting with God? I'll tell you what's on the menu. Right? This may increase your appetite or decrease your appetite. In John 6, 54, 56, it says, Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Like, can you imagine being a recipient of that? Jesus comes and he's straight up. Eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right? That's on the menu. <laughs> now, obviously, this, he's, not, he's not talking about this literally here. <laughs> like, here. He's not talking about this literally, right? You know, when Jesus is talking about, it's, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. Right before Jesus got crucified, what happens? Jesus, he sits with his disciples, and they're having this feast, right? They're, having, they're sitting at the table, and they break the bread. This is my body that was torn for you, right? This is my blood, right, that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And we, we recently did a sermon series on communion, just teaching about that. And Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And what does that mean? If that's what's on the menu, and if we have to be convinced that this is good in order to want to invite people to this, we got to understand that what this means is what it means to be, what it means to remember and be utterly impacted by the action that was taken by our Lord Jesus Christ that we can come to the table. That what we can feast. We have to remember that it was the blood of Jesus that was shed. It was his flesh that was torn. That time of remembering his goodness because of what he has done. The gospel message is what I'm talking about. Is it convincing for you? Is it convincing for us to want to share about it? Another word for this intimidating word that is in the Great Commission, that's, you know, implied in the Great Commission is evangelism, right? Uh, how many of you guys love evangelism? <laughs> Hallelujah, right? <laughs> hey, we're setting vision here. We're headed some. We're going to head there, right? You know, evangelism is a very intimidating word. I'd like to uh, propose another word that maybe will, you know, ease us. It's to testify. Testify. Sharing of his goodness. Like the woman at the well. When, when Jesus said, hey, you actually have five husbands. You're trying to find your identity, your satisfaction in them. Drink from me. I'm the living water. I'm the one who forgives you. I'm the one who gives you identity. And then she experiences, she tastes and sees the goodness of Jesus. And then what does she do after? She goes... Runs into town, and then she does what? She evangelizes. She testifies. She 
she can't help but share of the goodness of Jesus. She's convinced of this feast. Right? This gospel message that we're talking about here. <clears throat> because once we truly taste and see, the natural thing is that we testify. And all of us are good at that. It's called Instagram. <laughs> this, this, Majang Shijang, right? This Kongnam or Gukbap, right? It's so good. So it's so good. Naturally, what happens? She testifies. <laughs> I have to Insta story this thing. Like, pin it on top. People have to know and try this, right? Maybe, maybe not. Majang Shijang for sure, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Feasting with him is intimacy. For us, feasting, calling all to the feast. Feasting with God is to sit at his feet, to commune with him, is intimacy. It's what Pastor Susie preached on last week. Now let's kind of go one more layer out. Feasting also talks about feasting with him as a community. As a community. Because when I think about a banquet, it's not just two people. <laughs> it's many people. Feasting as a community together. Right? Let's branch out a little bit more. Feasting as in inviting the nations. Inviting the world to this feast. And let's take it another layer out. And this is what I would like to call the feast of all feasts. The feasts of all feasts, right? The Lord's Supper, when Jesus gave it, when he did communion, it was a preview. It was a preview, a prophetic preview of what is to come in the future. Of what is to come in the future. Right? And what this future feast that we have yet to experience, that we are all awaiting for, according to the book of Revelations, is, is this end-time feast. It's called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. This feast that we're talking about, it's not just any feast. It's a wedding. It's a wedding feast. I call it the Feast of All Feasts. And let me just read from Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 17. Let me just read it for us. And this is what it's all about. This is God's vision. This is what he wants. He says, after this, I looked, Apostle John, he says, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. This is so good. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice, again, of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His bride, which is the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen in the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Apostle, Apostle John is saying this. This feast that we get to foretaste today individually and as a community. And we get to invite the nations to this feast. God is going to do it. God is going to do it. In the end, what we're looking to, this is the burning desire of God's heart. The burning desire of God's heart is what we just got a preview of here. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, worshiping our God. We're going to a wedding where Jesus will marry his church, the bride. This is the feast that the Bible is talking about. Right? Can you imagine a meal? Can you imagine a meal where every bite is enjoyable? Can you imagine a meal where every bite is enjoyable? Like it makes you like make sounds like you've never made before, right? Like, and every bite is so good. And can you imagine a meal, meal where you never get full? You never get full. Every bite is enjoyable and you don't gain weight, right? Right? And just like every bite, like it just rocks your world. Can you imagine a meal like that? Like, I, have you ever ate something so good you teared up? Has that ever happened? Okay, let me show you a story real quick, right? One time I went to Taiwan with some friends and my roommate, his name is Jensen. Jensen, I'm putting you on blast, right? My friend Jensen, we go to this Taiwanese restaurant. And we're eating all this stuff, right? We're eating duck. We're eating these, like, Chinese food. And then there's this, like, every bite, we're like, oh, my God. Wow, wow, this is so good. Wow, oh, this is so good. Yo, bro, bro, this is so good, right? Insta, 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 right? Testify, right? And then Jensen, right? Dessert comes out, and there's this, like, tart. There's this, like, uh, like, a, like egg tart thing, right? He eats it. He takes a bite, and, like... His, like, lips are, like, shaking, <laughs> shaking, right? And, and he swallows it. And then I can tell he's, like, he's convinced, right? I'm looking at him. And you know what I see? He starts to tear up. And I kid you not. I'm not lying. Ask him. It comes, it comes out of his, his eye. It rolls down his cheek. And he looks at me and says, bro, this is so good. It's real. It really happened. It really happened. You know, like, why am I sharing this? Right? Maybe it's a silly example, but just dream with me. Imagine with me. You know, when in, in heaven, when Jesus comes back and restores all things, his kingdom fully comes, and we're at this feast. We're not talking about, like, literal food here. Although maybe there will be literal food. I don't know. But even if there's amazing food there, guess what? 
We're going to be feasting on the goodness and glory of the Lord to an extent. Well, it will feel like that. Where our spirits will not feel full. Can you imagine, have you ever experienced a revelation of God's love? Where you just, it just hits you. You just feel the fire of his love and it just like breaks you down. You're just like, I cannot believe you love me. Have you ever experienced that? Now, can you imagine that? Tasting and seeing the goodness and the love of the Lord every moment till eternity. No resistance. No competition. Nothing trying to distract you away from that. There's no competition. That's the feast that God invites us to. That's the feast. We are blessed here now. We get a foretaste of that. When we experience God and we feast of Him. That's what it means. I hope we all have a, a greater understanding now of what this vision statement, what we're going after here is. Calling all to the feast. Calling all to an encounter with God. Calling all to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Right? <clears throat> So this is what I mean by feast. Now, when it comes to the Great Commission, we can see it as an invitation to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That means people around you. That means your neighbor. That means people at our work. That means people in unreached and unengaged people groups. All of them. Everyone is invited to this feast. Everyone is invited to this feast. You know, the Great Commission, it says this. It says, and Jesus says, he said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission that our Lord Jesus has spoken to his disciples and to every single one of us. Not the great suggestion, but it is the great commission. It has been commissioned to every single one of us. It has been commissioned to every single one of us. In the, what's the context of this passage here? Something historical, something amazing has happened here. You know what happened? Jesus just rose from the dead. Jesus was crucified, and three days later... He got up and he rose from the dead, confirming what he has been proclaiming, that Jesus is divine. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Kanye got it right, right? <laughs> Jesus is King, right? He knows, right? So here is Jesus who has resurrected like, imagine seeing someone that has died. You saw him get tortured. You saw him nailed to the cross. And you see him three days later. Can you imagine the awe? And Jesus says this. He doesn't just say, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, all authority is in my hands. And I'm not just talk. Because I just rose from the grave. I defeated death. Jesus is saying, I am king. I am Lord. I am God. So I have the right. To give this commission. He just rose from the dead. Jesus is a king of kings. Who has given a command. An assignment. Who has just defeated death. 
And he's saying this, since I have all supernatural authority, do what I am commanding, not in your natural strength, but my supernatural strength. This resurrection power that you have just seen here, right? And I love that Jesus is not just the king who commands. He is a king who has demonstrated. He's not just a leader who is telling us what to do. Jesus has gone to the greatest extent of Calvary to demonstrate that my motive is real in doing this. And then he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Share the gospel. Share this good news. This good news of our salvation. Raise up followers of Christ. How many of you guys know that a disciple means follower? The disciple means someone who follows Jesus and his ways. But we can't disciple people, right? If they don't come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But also, I would go and venture and say, I was talking with Pastor Susie earlier and uh, last week, and, and she brought up this thought that, you know, even if people don't convert to become a Christian, right? Who is, when, did the, when did the disciples convert to be a Christian? When is it? We don't know, right? But Jesus was discipling them all the way, all along. You see what I'm saying? Like the way that we live, the way that, you know, we demonstrate and testify of our Lord Jesus and are convinced, the way that we testify and share, we can be discipling those around us. It's not just when they officially say the sinner's prayer or anything like that. All of us are called to make disciples of all nations. All nations being every ethnicity, every race, every people group. Right? But in this context here, in terms of understanding this passage, a lot of scholars say that Matthew, who wrote this book, Disciple Matthew, the audience that he was writing to was mostly Jews. And the disciples, they were Jews. And this gospel and this good news was mainly for, at that time, the understanding was just for Jews. But Jesus demonstrated in his life. He would, he would heal and he would reach out and he would love on just all the Gentiles as well, non-Jews as well. And Jesus is commissioning his Jewish disciples. Hey, I want you to make disciples of all nations. As in, my dream, the dream of my father. The mission of God is not just for one people group, for all people groups. For all people groups. That's what he's saying here. God has given us the task of inviting others to this feast. This task is called the Great Commission. Right? It's not just that we have been invited, but we're called to invite others as well. Imagine you opened up your Facebook one day, right? And you got a notification and an invitation from one of your favorite celebrities, right? And it's like a real account, okay? You, you, let's just say hypothetically, you know it's a real account, right? And let's just say like Michelle Obama, right? Or someone from BTS. I don't know, like who you really respect and admire, right? Right? <laughs> uh, let's just say you get a Facebook notification. Michelle Obama has invited you to this event at her house. Will you accept? Will you accept? Right? Or whoever it is for you. You will accept. You'll be stoked. You'll be so excited. Wow, like, who am I? Right? Who am I? 
And let's say, let's say the next day you get another Facebook uh, notification, right? And it says, the notification says, Michelle Obama, whoever it is, has made you an admin. Has made you an admin to this event. And Michelle Obama, she messages you and says, hey, I want you to invite whoever you want. Right? In the same way, that's kind of silly, but in the same, in a similar way, all of us, we've been invited. And who are we to be invited to this table to commune with the God of all creation? Who are we to be invited and commune and taste the goodness of the Lord? Who are we to experience even this much of the love of, love of Christ? We are invited, but we got that next notification. This is the notification right here, the Great Commission. Saying, hey, I want you to invite others to this feast. And the thing is, whoever your favorite celebrity is, if you're fully convinced why they are your favorite celebrity, wouldn't you go, you know, go around your sphere and be like, hey, you want to come to dinner with me and Michelle Obama? (laughs) Because of why? Because you're convinced of who she is. In the same way, as we grow in our relationship with God, it's the Holy Spirit and our hunger that causes us to understand who He is. Because our revelation of who He is will convince us to want to invite others to this feast. Right? This is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, the Jewish people group, their mark of the people of God was circumcision. I'm not going to go into circumcision, what it is, right? Don't Google it, right? (laughs) Circumcision. It was a mark that they were God's covenant people. But now that Jesus has come, right? And now that the gospel is beyond the Jews, but for, for the whole world, right? Circumcision, physical circumcision is not a prerequisite. Pre-requisite, right? <laughs> Prerequisite to become a kingdom family. Right? It's actually, Paul calls it the circumcision of the heart. You know? But now he says baptizing them. Right? What does baptizing symbolize? It means the new covenant. It means the old has gone and the new has come. And this is a remarkable statement because Jesus is saying this. In the name of who? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying this. In the name of the name that has all authority to bring salvation. The name above all names. Because maybe for Jews, they saw Yahweh God as just the Father. You know? But Jesus is saying this. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit that is to come. In the name of the triune God, be baptized, be made a new creation. There's a lot here, but I'm just covering the surface surface level. And it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is to us. Jesus is saying, I want you to make disciples. I want you to teach others everything that I commanded you. Right? What has Jesus commanded us? What has Jesus commanded us? Pastor Susie touched on one of them. The greatest commandment. Today I'm talking about one of them. The great commission. But actually there's so much that Jesus has commanded us. 
How are we to teach what he has commanded us if we do not know what he has commanded us? What I'm saying is, if we are not disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ, if we are not sitting at his feet, learning his ways, and learning right, what he has taught us, by the way, we're going to go into this in future sermons. We're going to be teaching what Jesus has taught us so that we can teach each others. Right? Mainly, it starts in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to go into that. Right? Teaching them all that I commanded you. And then he says, I am with you until the end of the age. Don't do it in your own might. Don't do it by yourself. I'm with you. Let's do this together. Let's do this together. Yeah. <clears throat> you see, the Great Commission is this, what we just read. The Great Commission is the invitation for the church or the bride of Christ. It's the invitation for the church to partner together in God's mission. Can we all say God's mission? All right. The God's mission. God's overall mission is much bigger than the Great Commission. Let me explain. The Great Commission seems huge. Make disciples of all nations. Invite everyone to the feast of all nations. The Great Commission is huge. But you know what? Let's zoom out a little bit more and try to see from God's perspective. Actually, God's vision, God's mission is much bigger than the Great Commission. God's mission has yet to be finished. His story doesn't end with just the finished work of the cross and the resurrection. It doesn't end there. Because he has commissioned us, right? There are two things that we need to know that I would like to kind of share with us to understand this bigger picture. And there's this Latin phrase called missio dei. Can we all say missio dei? It means the mission of God. The mission of God. And what the mission of God, Missio Dei, it's this. Psalm 46, chapter 10 says, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on the earth. A couple of weeks ago, I shared about what is God's vision. And I'm not going to re-preach it right now. But I shared how God's vision ever since the beginning, when he created all things, before sin came into the picture, he had a purpose for humanity. Right? And to make it you know, pretty simple, God's vision and God's mission from the beginning was fellowship. Fellowship with his people. Ruling and reigning with his people. It was a kingdom. That was his vision. But because sin came into this world, a mission began where Jesus came and he did what he did. And now the mission is not finished. He's, he has given us this assignment through the church. And now we are continually living God's mission. When does his mission finish? It's when Jesus comes back. It's when Jesus comes back. And he restores all things. Missio Dei means this. Missio Dei has, has to do with God's heart and his burning desire to restore all things. That's his story. Right? And I want to share this. There's a difference between mission and missions. Missions with the S. Mission, we'll call it Missio Dei, the mission of God, the bigger picture, is different from missions. 
And I, I like to explain it this way. There's a missionary. I went to a missionary conference. And this pastor, this missionary was sharing how he would take, he would take uh, go on short-term mission teams and take teams into Mexico. And then they would go in and that they would spend so many, a lot of resources and a lot of energy. And they would go, they would do VBS, they would feed the hungry, they would preach the gospel. They share all these things, but they would, they would like love like they never loved before on this mission trip, right? And then he would bring them back. He would bring them back to their home, United States, right? And then he's walking around and he's continually catching up with the people in the mission team. But realized that they had a heart for missions, right? But they never caught God's heart for the people. Because they were the same people group. They were the same, in this case, the Mexicans, right? That they saw that were struggling, but they felt nothing for them. But why on a mission trip, it's like burning for them, right? And I was so convicted. Because we can be, I'm not saying mission trips are bad. Actually, as a matter of fact, next year we are going on a couple of mission trips, right? Mission trips are not bad, but it's very possible that we can fall in love with missions, the programs, right? And we can love people well. But the bigger picture that we need to seek after is Missio Dei, which is the heart of God for people. The heart of God for all people. How does that form? How does that shape? Pastor Susie's message last week, it, it comes from loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. It comes from our intimacy with Him. Right? So, Missio Dei. And the second thing is, can we all say the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom. When I share, let's share the gospel, right? We have this idea, Right? I would love to ask us, like, hey, what is the gospel? And hear what we have to say. For whoever, you know, especially us who grew up in the church, we have this idea of what the gospel is. In the Bible, a couple couple times, it says the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. And I would venture to say that the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel. Is the gospel. What I mean by this, the gospel means good news. Good news. Which means the gospel of the kingdom means the good news of the kingdom. What does that mean? The good news of the reign of King Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom, which we're called to spread and live out, is the good news of the reign and kingship of Jesus. The full gospel is this. Is not just that we were saved out of something, but we were saved into a kingdom. It's not that Jesus is just, you know, our savior and he saved us. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not just that we're saved from something and he's our savior, but Jesus is actually our king and our Lord because Jesus is the king of this kingdom. Where he's our Savior and our Lord. It's not just that Jesus was a lamb who was slain that brought us salvation, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah, our king 
which means this. The gospel of the kingdom, which is the full gospel, tells us that we as believers, we are saved by grace, but we're also called to submit to our king, to follow his ways, to submit to his teachings. And I'd like to ask us, even in our hearts, it's a progression. It's called sanctification. It's a process, right? And it comes from the revelation of who Jesus is. And we can't assume that we know everything about Jesus, right? And we receive revelation of who Jesus is, what happens. What happens? We want to submit. We joyfully submit. He is our king. Is he sitting on the throne of our hearts? Is he our king? Is he our Lord? Do we submit to his ways, his teachings? Do we have humility on our hearts when certain commands he says to us maybe brings some kind of maybe offense in our hearts? Will we let his ways disrupt our lives, but at the same time trust that he's a good king? The gospel of the kingdom is what we believe. And the gospel of the kingdom is what we are called to spread. Is what we are called to spread. Yeah. <clears throat> and I want to close, almost, right? Uh, I, I want to, I kind of share today, what is the Great Commission? You know, sharing the gospel, inviting others to the feast, right? Um. In the future messages, we are going to go into what this practically looks like for our church. We are not there yet, but we will get there. We believe God will lead us. Things like evangelism, sharing the gospel, things like what it means to live as a Christian in our workplaces. Things like having a heart and growing our understanding for the nations outside of our scope here having a heart for unreached people groups that have never heard the gospel, having a heart for these things, learning what evangelism, learning what it means, what, what is frontier missions? You know, the people groups that have never heard the gospels, right? These are things that we're going to be teaching and that we're going to be going after because I don't want to sign up to just talk about the Great Commission. I want to submit to the lordship of our king. And I want him to take us there. Amen? That's where God is taking us. That's where God is taking us. But why? Why should we obey the Great Commission? And I love, I love how John Piper said it in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Pick it up. It's a good book. I'm going to read this. Missions whether it's local or global, sharing the gospel. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worshiping God is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, this life is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Missions, the Great Commission, is a temporary necessity. 
but worship abides forever. What is Piper saying here? Piper is saying this. The goal of missions, the end goal is not for people. It's for the glory of God. Our motive for missions and our fuel for the Great Commission, it's not compassion. It's not just compassion for people. Though that's so important because Jesus is compassionate. It's not that. It's a desire to recognize who Jesus is and recognize that Jesus is worthy of worship from every single person here on this earth. What will drive us to obey this great commission is a desire to want Jesus worshipped. Not merely, not only a desire to want to see people saved. There's a difference between a heart, having a heart that loves to worship God and having a heart to want to have God worshipped. Does that make sense? It begins with having a burning heart to want to worship God because He is beautiful. He is lovely. He deserves it all. I long to worship God. But that must transition into I long to have God worshipped. He deserves to be worshipped from my coworkers, from my family. Yes, I want my family to be saved. I love them. But more than that, I want Jesus to be worshipped. You know why we should want Jesus to come back? Yes, he will restore all things. Yes, he will make all things new. Yes, every tear shall be wiped from their eye. Yes, there will be no more suffering. But the greatest reason why we would want Jesus to come back, you know what it is? Is that every tribe, every tongue, every people will give Jesus the worship that he deserves. That should be our burning desire in our hearts. Where the focus is Jesus and not man. Amen? Uh, I want to say this quote from Dalton Thomas. He says, Biblical commands, great commission, and global needs, poverty, justice, AIDS, unreached people group, right? Biblical commands and global needs are not strong enough to motivate people to let go of their lives in exchange for terrifying, unknown in the frontier missions. These are not enough motives. More is required to produce such a deep surrender. The coming revolution in world missions will be the fruit of the revelation of the supremacy of Christ, His excellency, His glory, His magnificence, His power, His authority, His kindness, His zeal, His mercy, His worth. Asking why the heroes of the faith, why they did what they did, they won't say, because God spoke to me. They will say, because he is worth it. Though he will speak to them, his voice will not be what compels them. It's his glory that will compel them. It is his glory that will compel them. We sang a couple Sundays ago, these lyrics, catch me up in your story, all my life for your glory. God, catch me up, align me with your story, missio Dei. God's mission, catch me up in your story, all my life for your glory. All is for your glory, all is for your name.